Hey, David, you know what makes our show great? What's that, Kevin? No ads. You know what would make it better? What's that, Kevin? Ads. What if, and I'm just spitballing here, we do ads for independent creators at reasonable rates? How reasonable? Overly. How about $2 per episode pre-roll? That is almost too reasonable. Might as well go for it. Let's send everyone to the contact page for Supernatural Selection. SupernaturalSelectionPod.com slash contact? Exactly. Just have them scroll down to the Advertise With Us section for more information. That sounds great. Now let's record the ad. Kevin? Yes, David? We just did. Supernatural Selection. I'm your host, Kevin the Bastard. With me this week are Mike the Skeptic. Mike, how are you doing? I'm fine, I guess. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's better than not being fine, I guess. And we have got Mr. David Davis. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Usually you expect me to have a bit, but I have no bits for you. Nobody has a bit today, which is interesting seeing the semi-seriousness of this topic mm-hmm. uh let's see so again we uh, had a new patron last time we still have that new patron which is a plus that is of course andrew richardson host Woo! of flag for content uh and he and i are both uh taking part in another podcast called spooky dice bag it is a D uh, podcast, and I will have links to both of those in the notes uh, that pop up when you click more information in your podcasting app. So that's exciting. And uh, also, before we really get into everything, I got into contact today through Synchronicity with Mississippi's only licensed hypnotherapist. Mm. So I may be paying a visit to them and finding out about my past lives. That could be, be fun. I'll be sure to report what happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, do we have any shout-outs before we, re- we uh, really get going? Anybody want to give a shout-out to somebody? Yes, shout. Shout. Let, Let it, all, it all, out. all out. Thank you. Okay, Tears for Fears, we love you. I guess. All right. Well, that wait, was lame. Wait, what, what was that? Tear for tears for fears. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. Wait. Yes. No. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes. No, I'm glad we're tears. getting into the very important questions immediately yes. on this what's, very very important episode. Yes. What's the meaning of life? Why do we suffer? And did tears for fears do shout? <laughs> All right. So this week. After some delays and me having to reread communion to make sure everything was fresh in my mind, we're going to talk about the one and only Mr. Whitley Strieber. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we're going to be talking mostly about his book Communion, which was a groundbreaking thing. And uh, David, I know you're familiar with him. 
Mike, mm-hmm. you've soaked up some info over the years. What do you guys remember knowing before we really dove into this? Like, what was your public awareness of Mr. Streber, Mike? So I knew he had, like, hosted a Art Bell show. Yes. Um, and I always got him confused with the fire in the sky guy. You know what? That's not the first time I've heard that. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Okay. Uh, it, r- relatively same period, uh, time period, right? Uh, no, actually. Travis okay. Walton was 1973 or 75, and Whitley was 85, Fair. so it's like a whole decade. Fair enough. That's all ancient history to someone like me, so. Yeah, well, there's people younger than you out there listening that are like, oh, the late 1900s, and now I'm going to open a vein. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, my, my experience with Streber, I hadn't read Communion until recently, but I was aware of the book and mostly through that cover, which we'll, we'll probably talk about that at oh, some point. Oh, yeah, no, that cover, um, man, I hope Eartha Kit was getting residuals off that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, I, I had known a little bit about Streber, I'd heard about him on Unsolved Mysteries, and what kicked the topic off for me and you and I were, I, I don't know if you were already planning to tackle communion, but I remember I, watching had the a, idea. I, I remember watching a documentary like late last year about Whitley Strieber and communion. Yeah. And then I had brought it up to you and you were like, yeah, I wanted to tackle that. So I'm trying yeah. to remember like the order of events here. Well, I thought about doing it for a while because I mean, come on, who hasn't made a joke about Whitley Strieber in their lives? Me. Yeah, that that's, oh, yeah. Okay, well, I, you know, I regret it now. Yeah, that's one of the things that we're going to have to talk about here um, as we go through the episode, because this is going to get kind of, like, serious, um, you know, with a capital S and everything like that. Yeah, because whether you believe he was abducted or not, something really affected this guy and nearly Mm -hmm. destroyed his life. Yeah, and there's there's some jokes, you know, the whole alien anal probing thing. Yeah. Because some people attribute that to uh, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, but honestly, this is where it really happened. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, uh, let's dive into Mr. Whitley Strieber. Full full name, Lewis Whitley Strieber. He is an American author uh, who, aside from today's topic, is best known as a horror author. Specifically, his most well-known works are the novels The Wolfen and The Hunger. Funnily enough, The Hunger stars David Bowie, so I'm kind of down to watch it. I've seen it. It is a very, very horny movie. Oh, wow. I'm kind of down for that. Mike, you want to watch it sometime? Mm, Maybe. Okay. It's got David Bowie and Susan Sarandon, like, both in their prime. Wow. That is... Yeah, like it, they're like if if you're even a little bit bisexual, like the movie's gonna work for you. Look, I'm not gonna lie, uh, that bathtub scene in Batman v Superman had me going, so I'm down <laughs> for this. Uh. Yeah. All right. So since the events chronicle, chronicled in Communion, his career has taken an interesting turn. Uh, he works as a uh, fiction author, of course. Uh, but he's also got a serious career as a paranormal nonfiction author. Mm-hmm. Uh, after his horror novel, Strieber became interested in ecology and the environment. 
and started writing speculative fiction about ecological collapses and nuclear war. And he was actually, I don't know if you knew this, a consultant on the movie The Day After Tomorrow by uh, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerichson. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's a thing. Uh, as for these days, he's most closely associated with his website, uh, Whitley Streber's UnknownCountry.com. Uh, his online news magazine is principally used to share alternative news and paranormal analysis, and the founding editor was Ann Streber, who unfortunately passed away in August of 2015. Now, in a recent episode of his, uh, his show, he talked about watching Anne's spirit when she died ascend to heaven which is the space between atoms and escape the clutches of the greys who are trying to steal it so I don't think he's coping well yeah so uh, Anne was an author in her own right uh, known for her thrillers such as An Invisible Woman and Little Town Lies and she was really instrumental to helping Streber maintain and expand his career following the events we're about to discuss. So she was also a host of Dreamland, along with Whitley, which was the flagship podcast of the Unknown Country website. Which is which is still going strong, and I believe Dreamland was a spinoff of Coast to Coast, wasn't it? It was. It was uh, sometimes hosted by Art Bell himself, and mm-hmm. uh, it's really dry. Uh, actually, as a podcast, it's, yeah, uh, it's like I, uh, us without the jokes. Yeah, I, I tuned in for a couple episodes, uh, like this week, and I, uh, not the most compelling show. Like, I applaud no. what he's doing, but, like, I'm like, uh, there, there needs to be more dick jokes. He's def, yeah, yeah. Any paranormal podcast can be, uh, improved with dick jokes. Yep. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about the book Communion. Mike, you were there while I was reading this. And, Mike, you, you can attest, this is kind of a rare book for us. It's, it's well-written and understandable. It's not only entertaining to read. It does an amazing job of relating the emotional impact of the events descri- described. Uh, that being said, the book centers on two major events in his experiences. So I I really need to echo what you're saying here because the book is a very polished read. Um, It's also intensely uncomfortable. Yeah. Now, Mike, you remember my reactions to reading this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, one one of the things I said was, thank God an author got abducted. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, like, the only way this could have been better is if Stephen King had been taken up into the ship. God, could you imagine if Stephen King got abducted and what a great fucking book that would be? I can imagine how it would have fucked up the Dark Tower series more. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, hey, we saved him from getting run over by a van. Oh, get him away from that UFO. <laughs> so, the two incidents in the book, uh, they're broken up into his conscious memories and by what he ends up bringing up during hypnotic regression. And what I've done is try to combine the two narratives as best I can. Uh, The first incident, though, takes place in October and is sort of chronologically the beginning of it all for his adult life. 
Right. And, you know, um, speaking of the book, we do need to talk about the cover. So um, Ted Seth Jacob painted the cover for the first edition of the book, and it is still like the most iconic image of the gray today. Um, probably the de facto image that comes to mind for most of us. If you're even a yeah. little bit interested in aliens and ufology, you would recognize this image. Right. Mike, you are intimately familiar with that picture, I'm guessing. Um, I wouldn't say intimately. But you know it on site. I do, know, do not know the image yeah. carnal. Okay, no, no. I mean, that's that's for another episode of this show. Because we're <laughs> going to talk about Whitley and his fascination with that entity. Yeah, and I think we're probably going to be uh, Whitley Streber revisited at least a couple of we, times. We're going to talk about his other books. We're going to do one on the communion letters, and we're also going to just come back and talk about talk about what has happened to him lately. Because this mm-hmm. is this guy is a whole can of worms, and uh, I have a low tolerance for a certain amount of worms in one sitting. Uh huh. Yeah. So th- that's the thing. Uh, a lot of this podcasting process for us has been like very much kind of like a discovery thing uh-huh. where, you know, like in the process of going through the, the script this week, right. I stumbled onto like two or three other episode topics. Yes. Now, before we charge into the events, Mike, I have a question. I really want to get this out there. For you. Now, I know you don't believe in the whole alien abduction phenomenon, but like as far as people that are experiencing like genuine trauma from something like this, you you do agree that they at least believe something has happened to them, right? I mean, they think something has happened. Yeah, there's plenty of people that truly believe things happen to them that Mm -hmm. hasn't actually happened to them. Right. Okay, I just want to get that out there because, like, you know, I we, you're the skeptic, and that's yeah. fine, and you're here to balance us out. And I just wanted to get that out there, though, that these people have been through something mm-hmm. emotional. by the caused by their own self. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I just want to uh, pipe in here because, like, I, again, like... Um, as we as I went through the document, I also put in a lot of like things that's more on Mike's side of Absolutely, because I am yeah. going whole hog into this thing. Uh yeah. and letting y'all pull me back. So mm-hmm. So the first event on October fourth, nineteen eighty five, Streber, his wife Anne, their son Andrew, and two close friends of the family, Jacques Sangelescu and Annie Gottlieb headed out to the Streber's cabin in the middle of bumfuck Egypt in upstate New York near Winchester. <clears throat> you know, near near the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Oh, you said Winchester. It's Westchester, right? Did I say Winchester? Yeah, you said Winchester. Oh my god, I've got supernatural on the brain. Westchester. <laughs> it's those muffiny abs. Uh, <laughs> but no, Westchester out near uh, uh, the X-Men school. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, after dinner at a local restaurant, I originally said fun dinner, and then I heard the uh, hypnotic regression. And apparently, Jacques was a massive pain in the ass. So you, you get that impression from the uh, like. I, I, not that Jacques seems like a bad dude, but no, he is but definitely he, like larger than life. He's definitely large, Russian, and opinionated about his food. <laughs> so. After dinner, the group headed back to the cabin. Now, the original plan 
was for the four adults to spend time in the hot tub. You know, whatever they get up to in their own time, that's their thing. Mm -hmm. But when they get back to the cabin, everyone felt extremely tired, more than they could really explain from a normal meal. So everyone went to bed. So so it was probably a carb-heavy meal, probably a nice lasagna. I'm thinking it was either lasagna or maybe like some pierogies. A, a nice spaghetti. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Sometime around 3 a.m., <clears throat> Whitley was woken up by a light coming through the second-story window in the front room. Now, his bedroom is on the second floor, and with the door open, they can see the cathedral ceiling, and he has a round window at the second-floor level. Now, the light was coming from above. Mm. Now, his immediate reaction was that the roof had somehow caught on fire from embers drifting up from the fireplace. But he soon realized that the light was blue, extremely bright, and piercing, not diffused at all. Now, from here on out, we go to the recalled information from hypnosis. Now, you're going to have to uh, have questions about the validity of these recollections, and we're going to address them later on, as there are some significant red flags in Streber's account. Absolutely, and uh, Streber kind of questions the validity of it himself as well. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, Whitley sees a shape standing in the corner of his room by the chest of drawers. It's about three feet tall and is staring at him. He finds himself terrified and unable to move. The entity is wearing a dark blue jumpsuit with a hood that hides its face. In a sudden rush, the entity is beside his bed. He looks up into the hood to see a being with seemingly no hair and large, dark eyes and a wide mouth. It takes out a wand of some form, and that's in quotes, and places it against Whitley's head. Around the pituitary gland, actually. Hmm. And his mind is flooded with images of the earth exploding, his son being dead in the garden, and his father choking to death as his mother watches, sadly. And he is highly upset by all of this. Now, this is the weirdest advertisement I have ever heard for a personal massaging wand. I would take that back to Brookstone. Exactly. Yeah, this is not the Adam and Eve special you were looking for. (laughs) Now, now, something uh, that just dawned on me here that Mm -hmm. uh, the the nature of the wand, because now I'm again, always something that relates back to Hellier for me, because the wand is something that is seen in a few of those cases that they talk about in the West Virginia area. Yes. And one of the things they talk about is in the book is uh, it's possible relation to fairy folklore because Mm -hmm. the other beings always have a wand. Mm -hmm. Now this looks a little more sci-fi high tech like Mm -hmm. crystal and silver or crystal and metal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that a wand is involved. Mm -hmm. Now after showing these visions the entity holds a small silver needle like device over Whitley's face. And he strikes it, and there is a loud pop right in front of his face. At this point, we return to what we're going to call subjective reality. Now, I haven't been through uh, hypnosis or anything like that, but uh, this sounds... 
Right. So this sounds like how one can break someone free from hypnosis based on some reading from some sources that I was looking at. Uh, percussive awakening is a thing like clapping and snapping of fingers. And this feels like an extension of that, like a disoriented mind's understanding of such a technique at the time. Yeah, I'm sure all of us are familiar with the whole trope of and when I snap your fingers, you'll be a chicken. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Now. At the time the pop happens, everyone in the house wakes up from the noise. And Whitley's son starts screaming. Now, remembering his earlier thought about the roof being on fire, he curses himself about falling back asleep, yells for his wife to get out of the house with the guests, and he runs to grab their son. Now, coming down the stairs, he sees the cabin is dark, it is not on fire, and decides he's going to go calm his son. So he yells that everything's fine, the roof is not on fire, everybody go back to bed. The next day, no one discusses the night before or even mentions it. We don't talk about Dad's house burning dream. Yeah, Mike thought the, so The far. talking heads did. They did. <laughs> they did talk about burning down the house. So, thoughts on this so far? Yeah, we're diving well into the 80s in uh, our musical jokes. Yeah, well, it's appropriate. <laughs> 85. The song was a going concern. Mm-hmm. Now, in the aftermath of this, Woodley becomes paranoid and can't put his finger on why about the cabin. Now, he's already got a security system installed since they're not out there all the time. But, he goes out and he buys a shotgun. He sits there at night, sometimes just waiting for the security lights outside, the floodlights to turn on. And before bed, after his wife and kid are asleep, he double-checks the locks and looks in all the closets and under the beds with his gun. And he does all this without letting on to his wife and child. Now, at this point, Whitley and Ann start having relationship problems due to the shift in his personality and his paranoia and his anger. Now, by Christmas, things begin to get better for them. Now, now this is like the hardest part of the book for me. Um, yeah. The animosity between them during this time is like super intense, and the writing really goes a long way to really convey just how bad things are. Like... There's a lot of fucked up stuff that happens in this book, but the the dissolving of their relationship is what fucked me up the most. It's just incredibly yeah, painful. I know, and I really applaud him for putting that in there, because, like, he could have just not. And it's come out that during this time, he became, like, a raging alcoholic, just downing Jack Daniels, mm -hmm. trying to cope with this. So, so you know, the, the thing that I'm seeing here, number one, like how traumatic that initial event was. Right. And like, again, like I'm trying to put myself in that situation and like I get it. Um, I, I would hope that I wouldn't kind of spiral like he did, but I understand why it happened. Right. It's uh, no pun intended, very alienating. Mm -hmm. Like, have you ever and been the, any th through anything even remotely like that? Um, I haven't, but like, I could see myself going this route. So a, a lot of this sure. is like, I a lot of this is kind of has me concerned because I'm like, I see, <laughs> I, I see a little bit of my uh, like Whitley Strieber in myself. Sure. 
um, you know, because he he's the horror author. You know, he's a creative individual. Um, he's susceptible to certain things. And I'm just like, right. Fuck. There goes me. But for the grace of Zenu. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, have you ever had anything like this where like something happened and you sort of push people away or like become more agitated? Um, and, I mean, like, I guess everybody does to some point. I mean, it's just, I think it comes down to an inability to process. Right. And so your and, everyday stuff just really annoys you. Yeah. Like and, you know, just, just, yeah. Typical problems or even not even problems. Just like if say people aren't as concerned about it as you, they're just going about their daily lives. You're like, you should be worried about this. Yeah. Well, like it makes me think about our friend that we just lost, uh, Paul and not in the fact that it's doing that to us, but like, I feel like this happened to him. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's It's the, it's a sense of being other from reality. And and not only just that, it's so something I've been thinking about lately a lot in, you know, things like this, it's, it's really comes down kind of to pain. Um, cognitive dissonance really causes a lot of distress and right. pain. Mm-hmm. And Excuse me. pain, I mean, mental pain is still pain. In fact, oh, right. it can be scientifically proven because painkillers numb mental distress as oh. well as physical discomfort. Totally. I, I can tell you that like, from the uh, amount of leave I down sometimes. So it's... And, and, you know, alcohol helps with that. Yes, it does. It's self-medication. A lot of people say, you know, how can you drink alcohol? It's a depressant. Well, it's a depressant, but it's more of a suppressant. It Mm. really reminds me of that line from Two and a Half Men, guys. That whole, why are you drinking alcohol? Because I want to. You told me it was poison. There are things inside me I need to kill. Well, I mean, but it does numb you. Oh, Mm -hmm. definitely. Both physically and emotionally. Not necessarily in a good way all the time. Well, no, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, but in the same way that, you know, painkillers, you know, it's a relief can be abused yeah. because it, they both provide a, a relief in that you get not really so much addicted to the substance, you're addicted to the relief it brings. Right. And then, you yeah. know, there's this probably the scariest part of this for for Whitley. And this is me making assumptions like I'm not I'm not a father, at least that I know. Right, of. right, right. But um, (laughs) like having having that very vivid experience, waking up in complete disarray and confusion and then hearing your child scream. Oh, he he talks a lot about his instincts in this book. And that is. Yeah, it's one of those like ultimate sort of, you know, for for a person who's a father, for a person who's a parent just in general. Um, the, the minute like this experience fucks with your kid, uh, it, it's a spiral thing because again, like we're as, as a species, we're kind of like hardwired to prioritize the health and safety of the children. And I, I feel like a lot of what's going on here is, um, and I, and I saw this in the book is just this feeling of inadequacy and inability to protect his child. Yeah. That Um, sense of helplessness. I was going to say, yeah, something that, you know, you don't understand, you can't protect anyone from something you don't understand Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. and we're about to get into the most 
hardcore part of this whole thing. So, guys, buckle up. This is the day after Christmas in 1985, December 26th. That night, it was actually a good one starting out at first. After a small meal of leftover goose and generally enjoying family family activities, the Streepers decide to go to bed. See, see uh, uh, I, I want to stop you there, though. <laughs> you, you kind of put, like, a, pa- a slight pause there, so I saw it was a meal of leftover goo. Oh, God. <laughs> goo. Well, okay, goo. who the fuck eats Christmas goose in the 20th century? That's Dickensian. Man, it's upstate New I mean, York. It, He's an author. Yeah, it's, okay, yeah, it's there. They're fairly, I would assume, staunchly upper middle class. Oh, yeah, no. Um, they have an apartment in it, New York yeah, City. And, and they're in you have the, two properties. Fuck. They're, yeah. I mean, they're... They're in, you know, the Northeast. They're they're West Chester. His wife, as much as as fuck. I was gonna say, as much as I love Ann Streber, you know she's a wasp. Where Mm. actually, I say that, but they're Catholic. Well, okay, but still, but you know, there's still that general, yeah, yeah, fucking property in New York and New York State. Has anyone ever eaten goose here? Yeah, it's not bad. I don't think I've ever had. I mean, it's more gamey than. Uh, you know, it's 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 a little bit like duck. Now I love duck, so okay, now you'll I'm love intrigued. goose. Yeah, duck. Uh, all right, duck, goose. Oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So the streamers go to bed. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's get back to the horrible stuff. Uh, <laughs> Anne and Andrew go to bed, which means out come the shotgun. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Whitley makes his rounds after everyone's asleep, and he double checks the alarm. And with everything seemingly in order, he finally turns in himself. Now, what follows is disturbing. Not because it recounts an alien abduction. We've done that. But because of how much of this is from Whitley's conscious memories. Waking up the next morning remembering chunks of this. Mm-hmm. The hypnosis brought out more details. So, that being said, buckle your seatbelts, boys. I'm already buckled in. You told me to buckle in once. You can't keep telling me to buckle in. Put on the shoulder <laughs> strap, because this is about to get yeah, rough. Put him in the car a, seat. Put him in the car seat. Okay, I'll put him in the car seat. Mike, do you want your sippy cup? I, I'm not getting in the car seat. I'm too fat. Would you like a sippy <laughs> cup of rum? I already have that over here. All right. Okay. <laughs> Now, the first thing Whitley became aware of was the sound of someone moving around downstairs. The alarm is still set and glowing softly next to his door, and nothing has set it off. The lights outside are still turned off. Nonetheless, someone, lots of someones, are moving around downstairs. Now, now, this is extremely fucking scary, given the previous situation and the already present gun-toting paranoia. I know. This is this is something he's been terrified of in the back of his head. And it's fucking happening. Right. So, so Whitley sits up, but he can't move. He doesn't know if he's too frightened or just incapable. But he can move his eyes, and Anne is still fast asleep next to him. And he looks to the cracked bedroom door and he sees something that is completely beyond his ability to really understand. Because peeking around the door is a small creature. Again, about three feet tall, 
but it's wearing a metal faceplate with round black eyes and an O for a mouth. And it seems to have some kind of metal chest plate with a triangle on it. And he can't stop looking at it. It sounds like a shy guy from the Super Mario games. God damn it. <laughs> it does. Now, the thing is, you remember the movie, David? Mm-hmm. This is represented by the weird clockwork toy that runs up to him in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't Uh-oh. make any fucking sense. Oh, speaking of which, if you want to hear Kevin and I talk about the movie adaptation of the novel, you oh, should join God. the Patreon. Fuck yeah, man. We talk a lot about uh, cocaine. <laughs> yes, we do. Mike, I'm going to make you watch that one day. Okay. All right. So when the, th- the thing realizes that Whitley doesn't have the shotgun, it again rushes to his side. Ugh. And then more creatures come in. I mean, it's more of the creatures from October 4th, but at this point he doesn't remember them. And there's a lot of them, like, his estimate is maybe a dozen. And they lift him from the bed, strip his clothes off, and then carry him out into the woods on their hands over their heads. Now, are we sure he didn't pledge to a fraternity? Yeah, it was Kappa Beta Fuck. <laughs> so, the next thing Whitley is aware of is being sat down in a hole in the snow, a hole in the ground where the snow has been melted, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, someone's moving around to his side that he can't see because they're just out of the range of his peripheral vision and where he can turn his eyes. And someone is in front of him. <clears throat> and he can't quite make it out clearly because even in his re- uh, regressed memories, he has trouble recalling the face, and they're telling him something that to this very day, he won't remember. Hmm. Now suddenly he finds himself spiraling and seeing the forest above him, spinning, and then a floor closes underneath him. He's placed on a bench in a room that he describes as dirty, like It smells like B.O., and there is discarded clothing everywhere. Like, you remember the Hitchhiker's Guide when uh, Arthur and Ford are in the Dentrassi's quarters, and it's just like mattresses and dirty clothes everywhere? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like that. It's a very weird fucking vibe for a um, a UFO encounter, a visitor encounter. It really is. It's it's not sterile, Mm -hmm. which is unique. Now... He's placed on a bench, and in front of him is a being. And it's the same being that had been explaining whatever it was to him. And he makes a point that the creature seems female. And at this point, it is the entity depicted on the cover of Communion. This is his first experience with what we could consider a gray. So this is our cover girl. This is Cover Girl, yes. Okay. Now, for some reason, he gets the impression that she's old. And he asks her, are you old? And she says, yes, I am very old. She has an AARP membership. Yeah, those come out to everybody everywhere in the fucking galaxy. 
it maybe maybe it was J- uh, Dame Judy Dench. Oh my God, that would be kind of fun though. We could play D right? D. <laughs> so she tells Whitley, and I want you to put yourself in this situation for a second. That this weird ass shit's happened, and you've been sucked up into what might be a UFO. She tells Whitley they're going to perform brain surgery on him, and that it won't hurt. Fuck. At this point, he panics. He is completely unaware of what he's doing, but he keeps having these visions of his wife and son finding him in bed as a vegetable the next morning. Uh, Apparently, he had been screaming, you're going to destroy a beautiful mind. Which, like, it's... On the one hand, it seems kind of, like, arrogant. But on the other hand, not necessarily. It's a very curious thing. I see it as pleading, like, please, don't, yeah. like, God, my, br- my brain's beautiful, don't kill it. Yeah, I'm a unique individual, I think that's what he was going for, but then also, you know, he is an author, so uh, maybe yeah. he's, yeah, I, again, I'm not quite sure how to read that, but I feel like it's more like, you know, I'm a living thing, I'm, I'm yeah. a unique entity. No, now, not my brain! <laughs> 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 Thank you for that, Mike, I needed that. So, the next exchange is odd they really kind of gloss it over in the movie but it is it's kind of odd but the first thing is the entity asks Whitley what can we do to get you to stop screaming fair question right you know was he screaming the entire time yes like after she said the brain surgery just constant screaming Yeah, I mean, I would too. Yeah, definitely. Right. Now, the second strange thing is his response. Can you let me smell you? Hmm. Oh, he's one of those guys. Now, now, while this is bizarre, it kind of makes sense. Uh, Whitley needed to know that what he was experiencing was real because he thought maybe he was losing his mind. I'm not saying he wasn't. And the one thing he could think of was smell, because smell impacts memory. So, the also, in- yeah. also it could be like, have you ever smelled anything in your dream? I don't think I've. I have never smelled anything so, in my dream. So, I mean, I, I read that like I forget what I was what I was uh, reading or something, where someone was trying to figure out if they were dreaming or not, and they smelled something. Right. And they could smell it, so they were like, "Well, I'm not in a dream." Yeah, and so that made me think. I was like, "Huh, you're no, you're right. That probably yeah. would work." Because I mean, the reading thing, I don't buy. Because I've read, sure, shit yeah, no, time. it's Batman the animated series. That could be just bullshit. But, but this, the smell thing, does make kind of sense. Smell and taste. I've never right, tasted right. anything in a dream. Yeah. Well, so now, now, do is that how smelling salts work? Because I've I've never yes. had to use those. But is that the principle behind this yeah, idea of like having? Up. The, that section of your brain and kicks you back into consciousness. Interesting. Yeah. So, after this somewhat bizarre request, the being very gently places its cheek against his face and he inhales deeply. And it smells of cinnamon and what I'm just going to summarize as flesh. All the things you associate with the natural smell of a, a, li- of a living being. It smells like a some form of an entity and cinnamon. Hmm. The entity cradles his head 
and other creatures come up and hold him and calm him. Then there's a tap on the back of his head, a bright flash in his eyes, and a pop sound, and he realizes they just did the operation. Oh, so it's like, you know, when you have a little child and you got to give him a shot. Yes. Distract him with something shiny and cool and then jab him. Yes, that's or, exactly or like, it. Or like taking an animal to the vet. He, he describes his treatment as, while not inhumane, it is very reminiscent of treating an animal. Right. You know, and then, you know, the smelly thing is just such a weird detail that it it, it kind of makes sense. But it's also a great example of like weird ass dream logic. Um, if you're building the case that this was like a very, very, very like powerful dream. And we will talk. I didn't put it in the outline, but we are going to talk about a little bit about a hypnagogia later, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So now what comes next is from the hypnosis session. Because after this, it kind of glosses over. He's taken from the holding area into another room full of greys and the little worker men that came to get him. And it reminds him of one of those old school operating theaters from the old days. You know, the big round one with the stadium seating where they would do an operation in the center and all the doctors would watch to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's also... Big-ass praying mantis. Now, now, was this mantis smoking a cigarette in the corner and going, yes, yes? I just imagine it is sitting in the cut chair from a hotel. Because, <laughs> I, and I really feel like this is the origin of the mantis cuck. We're, we're in the thick of it. <laughs> we need to update our bingo card with a variation that has cuckoldry in, uh, yes. in one of the squares. Yeah. It just <laughs> comes up cuck. a lot. Man, yeah, mantis cuck comes up a hell of a lot. <laughs> So, he's brought into this room where everyone's watching. He's placed on a table and put in sort of like the position like you're at the gynecologist in the stirrups. Mm. And then something's brought out. And it looks like a metallic snake with some form of mesh net at the end. And the description honestly sounds like the microphone right in front of my face. Now, well, we now, know where this is going. Now, now, gentlemen, do you remember the show The Venture Brothers? Yes. Do you remember The Nozzle? I do not remember The Nozzle. Look, look, up, look up the clip on YouTube and you'll you'll immediately get the reference. But I just okay. the minute I read this, I thought The Nozzle. Do not look at The Nozzle. <laughs> now, Mike, you, you said you know where this is going. I said, oh, I have an idea where this yes. is going. Well, that's when it happens. This is it. <laughs> This is the birth of a thousand memes and ten thousand jokes. In the context of the book, though, and related to us by the man who experiences it, it loses all humor. The snake thing was inserted into his anus. And at this point, Whitley finally felt something other than fear. Anger. And at some point during his screaming in anger, the object is removed, but he doesn't remember when. The female, as we're going to call her, asks him, Is this as hard as you can get? And Whitley's confused by this. 
And then he looks down and sees that his penis is at half-mast. He's horrified that it would even be at this state and tells him, No! Not with you here! You're ugly! I feel like I'm on the wrong side of X-Hamster again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do not go to motherless. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Something is then placed behind his ear and then against his earlobe, and something is inserted. We'll come back to that in in another episode, because it doesn't really play out that much. He is then led into another room, and no amount of hypnosis or concentration has has brought out what happened in that third room. Now, now this is scary because of the abject horror he's experienced up until this point, which begs the question, just how much worse could that locked away memory be? Yeah. Mike? Yeah? What do you think? What What do you think happened in the third room? Um, Parcheesi. You know what? I, for his sake, I fucking hope so, and it was right? just boring. Because this is already pretty fucking hardcore for a dude that didn't believe in UFOs before this. That's the other thing. He was a hardcore skeptic on this stuff. Mm -hmm. He was like, you talk about UFOs, he's like, that's bullshit. So, after being taken to the third room and the memory gap, the next thing he knows, he's standing in his bedroom and the entities leave through the door. He gets dressed, visits the bathroom calmly, and then goes back to sleep. Now, unlike the October 4th version of what happened, the following day he develops fevers, chills, a bleeding anus, and severe fatigue. Now, after returning to their New York City apartment, he visits his doctor, and the doctor asks him, Willie, I don't, I don't know how to broach this subject, but were you raped? Because you have massive trauma in your rectum. Now, now this is awful, but it's only going to get a different kind of worse from here. Yeah. So we have some physical evidence that something happened. Not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. So, Streber's memories of December 26th haunted him. It was like after October 4th, but all over again, and worse. He was distant. He was angry. He was violent. He could write the historical fiction novel he'd been working on. He began drinking more. He couldn't read for entertainment. He was just standoffish to everyone. So, this behavior lines up with uh, rape trauma syndrome. I, I don't want to dwell on this too much because it is a potentially triggering thing, but uh, in the case of sexual assault victims, post-traumatic stress results in a number of symptoms which align with his response over the coming months in the book, uh, especially with corresponding stages. Again, don't want to dwell too much on this because it's a topic that might make some listeners uncomfortable, but if you look in the show notes, um, I do have a very detailed source in the outline that lays all of this out. Yeah, look for the hyperlink. Yeah. And uh, I understand. I know someone that has uh, 
issues with their rectum and these are the same symptoms they get is the fatigue the tiredness the fevers the chills all that stuff something mm. to not to put too fine a point on it something happened with this man's butthole yeah it's again like i, there I don't want a make, lot of jokes I don't make the and joke. humor that came out of this but like when when you put it in the context of actually reading it and the trauma that he conveys it's it's a harrowing harrowing thing right and after this sitting in his office he has the thought that what he experienced could possibly be alien abduction because Betty and Barney Hill were vaguely in the public consciousness. He says he remembered hearing something in a or reading something in a magazine about a Betty or something that got abducted, or he's losing his mind. He finds himself staring out the window and real, realizing that he would rather push it open and leap the 12 stories to the pavement than accept what is happening to him. Mm -hmm. But, realizing that what that would do to his family, and realizing that if he didn't do something, he might not resist the urge next time, he did some, dis some digging and discovered missing time expert Bud Hopkins. And we're just going to take a brief tangent here because Bud yeah. Hopkins is a figure that we're going to have to cover in more depth. Agreed. Now, Mike, mm -hmm. you, I don't know if you remember the name Bud Hopkins other than from me, but he used to be on like, uh, uh, what was that show on Fox we always watched uh, that came on before the X-Files? Sightings. Mm. He was always on Sightings and Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, for me it was Unsolved stuff. Mysteries. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he was always on there. He's a the guy that everybody came to. Mm -hmm. So, so Bud Hopkins is an interesting figure in all of this. Uh, right. He was already prominent in the ufology field and was born in West Virginia, which is a state we've mentioned many times here on the show. All the weird shit happens in West Virginia. Yeah, can we just rename the whole fucking state Hellmouth? Right. Um, we, we should probably just do like a West Virginia tribute episode. It's, it's I crazy. I feel there, like we should make a field trip and do that as well. Yeah. So. Like I, my goal, one of the states I want to visit is West Virginia because that's where all the weirdos are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we'll in the most loving way possible. Oh, absolutely. And one of these days I will tell y'all about me and Mike's plan to basically build a traveling podcast studio and basically Scooby-Doo this shit. Do a fucking RV, man. That's what we're talking about. Hell yeah. So, um, Bud Hopkins was an artist who had an impressive background in painting, even landing a Guggenheim Fellowship. He's actually really good. If you look up he, his stuff, he's very mm -hmm. talented. So, Hopkins would publish his own book regarding an abduction experience called Missing Time in 1981, which would throw him headfirst into the contactee sphere. Prior to this, he was mostly a painter, art critic, and journalist. Yes. Now, this experience, much like Streber's, would radically alter the, uh, the trajectory of his life, and he would end up consulting on many contactee experiences. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I also want to note that, like Streber, he did not appear to be predisposed to any ufology beliefs because of the trauma of the 1938 War of the Worlds broadcast by Orson Welles. He's gone on record several times about psychic scars left by the broadcast that would ultimately give him a skeptical bent. He didn't want anything to do with aliens and UFOs. Now, we will talk more about Streber, not Streber, I'm sorry. We will talk more about Bud Hopkins in a future episode. There's some stuff I discovered lately that's uh, interesting about him, but we'll get into that another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Streber contacts Bud, and uh, they met the same day because, David, I don't know if you remember this, and I think this is, I mean, it's New York, but I mean, like, they live two hey, blocks it's New York. Me. It's New they York. Li- Hey, they live two blocks from each other. Literally, they actually <laughs> they live probably, two blocks away from each other. They probably both also lived above delis. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? I have a feeling if we lived above a deli, we'd be dead. Or maybe a bodega. Ooh, a bodega. That'd be badass. Oh, uh, that—that's the dream, man. That's the dream, yeah, man. Just I, live over a bodega. When, uh, when I stayed in New York, our Airbnb was above a uh, ramen shop. Oh, you fucker. Shit. God, you lived the dream for a little bit, man. <laughs> two days. Oh, two days of heaven. <laughs> so, and subways. And subways. I love that urine smell. That didn't smell that bad. It smelled mostly like... Disinfectant? More. Kind of gunpowdery. Remember, remember how the... <laughs> oh, no. The, Kevin, so, you remember the Atlanta subway? Yeah, no, it did smell of gunpowder. I think it's all the, like the ground uh, steel from yeah, the train wheels. Yeah, it smells like the uh, discharge of metal against metal, like in a gunshot. Or like welding. Yeah, it smelled like arc welding. Hmm. So, anyway, the hypnosis. They met the same day, and Whitley, after telling him what happened, uh, Bud suggests he goes into hypnotic regression to pull those memories out because of course he does that's his thing mm-hmm. now Whitley said he wanted to find his own hypnotist to do the sessions it's not that he didn't want to trust Bud but mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure there wouldn't be any leading questions so he went <clears throat> with a very noted uh, hypnotist uh, one of the leaders in the field that was of course in New York because mm-hmm. New York. Um, I don't have the gentleman's name, but uh, what follows is uh, audio of that hypnosis session. Session, And boys, this is a... Uh, oh boy, this is rough. Let me know if you can hear it okay, all right? Mm-hmm. I saw something that looked like that? it had a hood on yep. it. Standing over by the wall near the corner in our bedroom. And I don't want it to be there. <laughs> I don't want it to be there. Please. Darling. Shut the hell the door to me. For God's sake. No. Dad. What the fuck the door to me. All right. That is the regression of the October 4th mm-hmm. incident. Uh, everybody okay after that? Haha, <laughs> no. Okay, Mike? I mean, bringing me down, man. Yeah, I know. It's pretty fucking hardcore, dude. Like, um, I, I, I've, I've heard some pretty 
fucked up things. Um, like I've listened to like black box recordings and that sort of yeah. thing. Cause I'm yeah. a horrible troll of a person, <laughs> but, um, you know, cause my, my thing is watching like my creepy YouTube channels of like most shocking found footage from ring doorbell cameras before right. I go to bed and stuff. Yeah, dark um, yeah. th- This one disturbs me. Like a lot of them yeah. don't really get to me, but like you feel the pain of what he's, he feels like he's experiencing. This That's just the sound of abject terror. It mm-hmm. shakes me every time I hear it. And uh, I never want to listen to it again. Uh, uh, he could be a metal singer, though. Oh, God, yeah, no, he's got some fucking range when he's terrified. Um, now, I've listened to the Barney Hill uh, regression mm-hmm. tapes, and... Uh, that's this, another fucked up one, man. Yeah, this one is worse in a lot of ways. And the thing mm-hmm. is, I, you remember that documentary... You, you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. the, the one we mm-hmm. did. All right, so they give him these tapes. And they ask him, do you want to listen? And he starts listening, and it gets to that part, and he stops, and he's like, I can never hear this again. Mm-hmm. It, it almost reminds me of a Grizzly Man with... Um, uh, oh, Herzog. Yeah, like, yeah, Herzog just, like, listening to the... You, you don't get to listen to the audio. You just get yeah, to see, you see his reaction yeah. going, you must destroy these tapes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, this is where the complete picture comes in of his experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes through this two or three more times to get the full picture. And also, it's so traumatic during this. Uh, you don't hear about this happening often. In fact, the hypnotist says this is extremely rare. Whitley comes out of the fucking uh, trance spontaneously, so terrified at times. Jesus. Imagine being so scared you wake yourself up from hypnosis. I've, I've read other accounts from like the Van Dreesen affair and that shit doesn't normally happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after this, Whitley is encouraged to go back and ask his house guests, not did anything weird happen, but like, hey, anything, you remember anything weird about October 4th? Like just, or do you remember what happened October 4th that night? You mean aside from him wandering around the house with a gun in a paranoid state while claiming the house was on fire? Okay, fair. But prior to that. Yeah, exactly. So he talks to Jacques, and Jacques says that when he woke up from the pop, there was a bright light coming in the windows. In fact, it was so bright, he thought they'd slept till around 10 a.m. And then the light just turned off. It just went out, and then he hears Whitley yelling that the house isn't on fire, so go back to bed. And Jacques, being the big Russian bear that he is, does. It's winter. (laughs) Yeah, hibernating. Yeah. Now, Annie Gottlieb, Jacques' girlfriend, says that she woke up because of the pop as well. And then she heard the sound of a bunch of feet running around in the Schreiber bedroom above them, and she assumed it was the cat's. Now, the chilling part, to me, is when Whitley says, the cats are still in New York. We don't take them to the cabin. She says she remembers him yelling about the house not being on fire, but for some reason she had a weird memory about a giant diamond hovering over the house. 
Now, I'm, I'm just hearing the movie version of this with the dramatic slow read of, like, the cats are in New York combined with that orchestral uh, string hit. Now, now, can we... Okay, okay, you do the string hit after I do this voice, all right? Mm-hmm. But, Annie, the cats are in New York. <laughs> you son of a bitch, you went walking with it. Yeah, because you said from the movie. <laughs> no, I, I was thinking, like, oh. a different movie. Like, oh, like wow. A, a, a not walking movie, but yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, but, yeah, but, Annie, the cats are in New York. We don't bring them out here to the cabin. <laughs> Five guys in my mouth. (laughs) So, (laughs) Mike, you got anything to add to that before I move on since I just broke David? Nope. Okay. So, at at Bud's request, Whitley is encouraged to talk to his son about this, but he says, don't ask him about memories. That's not how you do this with kids. Ask him if he had any dreams from that time period. Mm Mm-hmm. So walking goes to Andy, and he sits down and is like, hey, you remember uh, the last time Jacques came out to the cabin with us? And he's like, yeah, no, it was great. I love Jacques. It was a fun time. I said, did you have any dreams? Yeah, I had a dream. Me and uh, one of his friends were in a boat. But uh, dreams stopped because these little blue doctors took me to be examined. And they took me out on the porch. And then I woke up yelling because I was scared. And that's when Whitley Strieber broke into a cold sweat. He was sweating bullets. Because something happened that affected everyone in that house. Now, now this is one of the few cases I can recall involving a child. I don't know of many encounters uh, or visitations involving children. I haven't heard any where the kids remember it. It's always they're in hypnotic regression and then spontaneously remember stuff from childhood. And that happens to Streber, but we'll talk about that in like a more biographical episode. Mm-hmm. Because I don't I don't feel like it directly relates to the main thrust of communion. Mm-hmm. I wish I hadn't said thrust. Well Yeah. So yeah. Again, Strieber was really careful about his questioning. He never hinted that he thought he'd seen aliens or was abducted or was losing his mind to anyone. Not even his wife. But eventually, talking to her, he got her to go under hypnotic regression. And Annie's regression is an extremely... I'm going to just go ahead and say chilling again, part of this. Mm-hmm. On the night of the 26th, Ann Streber remembers waking up and Whitley wasn't in bed. But that didn't bother her because he disappeared in the middle of the night so often. Mm-hmm. She knew he'd be back. And they they had told her to just stay in bed and wait. Now, in the regression, when the hypnotist asked, who are they? She would not answer. She just had to wait and help Whitley when he came back. She was jealous that she had to wait while him and her son left and that it happened often. 
it, it's a really like fucked up thing. Like just like he like reading that when I read that, that like got to me. Yeah. The fact that like, you know, your typical abduction, there's not a co- a lot of co- corroborating evidence. This gets freaky to me. Yeah, and and just the implication that like, you know, this happened often. And the implicate just the confirmation. Can you imagine being like, well, maybe I am going crazy, even with hypnosis. Maybe I'm cr- going crazy, and then all this other stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The aftermath of this. To say that Streber's life was changed by this would really be an understatement. I mean, being an author, he decided to chronicle the experience. And Anne began working with him on this after both their regressions. Mm -hmm. Because she, when she found out that this had happened and he might have been abducted by aliens, her comment was, oh, thank God we don't have to get a divorce. Fuck. Which I thought was great. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Anne gave him the title communion because she felt that this was an almost religious experience and it would make sense to him eventually. Now, for years, Streber has spoken about his visitors, who he still does not say are aliens. He still doesn't know what they are or where they came from or what they actually want. Now, now, from what I've gathered, Streber is still a very devout Catholic, so it's interesting to see how he's able to kind of maintain that belief system and incorporate these experiences into it. It's sort of like a New Age kind of fusion thing going on. I know, it's like one of those weird restaurants. It opens up in New York! It's a New Age fusion restaurant. <laughs> so the publication of Communion obviously kind of shook the world of ufology. There have been these reports before, but this was a big one. Mm-hmm. Many people who had remained silent but remembered having nocturnal visitations saw the iconic cover and felt compelled to finally talk about what they had experienced. Others saw the cover and had memories leap forward that they'd repressed, and the phenomenon of abduction suddenly came to the forefront, and there it has remained for good or ill. So... That's where we're at with Whitley Strieber right now, and I am curious to hear your thoughts. Now, Mike, what what have you got? See, here's a problem. My problem I have mm-hmm. with this whole presentation. Right. I you've made it the gravity so great that I can't really poke holes at it without sounding like an asshole. Sure, you can. No, yeah. because you said you David's just said do it. I'm sure you said you know. This is traumatic, and he's really going through it. And anyone, and I, I can't say no, he didn't go through it. Well, so I mean, the way you've laid it out, it's either he's completely lying, or he actually had this otherworldly experience. There's really I, no middle ground. There, there, mm, no, no, there's I, not. I mean, no, you, no, you've no. laid it on pretty thick here. No, well, I, I, Mike, I, I got your back here. I got your back here because I, I have some stuff um, that I, I'm going to bring up here. A, a couple of things. But um, like, I, I see where you're coming from, because, again, like something. Okay, yes, happened. I laid it on thick and I do apologize if it was. I'm just saying that there it's I mean, what am I supposed to say? Tell me I'm wrong. How can I, but how can I say you're wrong without, you know, saying 
you know, Whitley Strieber is lying about everything. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is like the one of the one of the implications is, is that like, OK, he he felt like he went through something and like the whatever he felt he went through definitely fucked him up and we can feel bad for him for having that whatever that experience was that he's convinced himself he's had fucking him up like we could feel bad about that but we can also acknowledge that like there's probably a lot of explanations for all of this but but that doesn't you know take into account his son and wife's you know corroboration you know and you know he that is a tough one but Mm. we are talking about a book from one person's point of view now, now in the book, he he says he goes to great lengths not to like let stuff slip or try to like it. Like he he picks his hypnotist. Um, he he says he doesn't talk about the stuff, but considering how dark things get for him, I feel like things would have slipped. Right, and I I am not anywhere beyond thinking this man was walking around mumbling under his breath in what he thinks is a whisper. Yeah, but, you know, how's that, how's that explain his wife and child's profound, you know, well, the, uh, the experiences, well, so either, either he cowed them into lying or somehow influenced them to lie, which not necessarily lie, but lie. I mean, they, they, they said, she said, you know. He was gone and they told me to wait. So either, you know, he somehow made her think, you know, she had these experiences too. So that's the, that's the interesting thing about memory here because people can convince themselves of something or be influenced and it's not necessarily malicious. It's just you, you, you feel like this is a thing that happened and you feel like you've lived it and for, you know, for your own experiences, it's become a fundamental part of you. So I want to bring up a couple of things because I think this is going to kind of help address the issue going on here. Right. And one of the other things that, um, they talked about in the book is, uh, you can lie under hypnosis. Oh Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I I was going to say that too. I mean, yeah. Hypnosis is not a truth telling. Oh no thing and it's fallible mm-hmm. and it's you know debatable exactly what happens sure. under hypnosis whether you yeah. actually remember real memories or not oh yeah no that yeah. shit is not admissible in court like again to mention hellier uh the, the whole hypnosis used to induce an alien contactee mm-hmm situation again like that wasn't uh we we see he isn't picked up by aliens at all but it becomes an indelible part of his psychic experience, I guess, that it is a thing that he is convinced has happened to him. Right. So, yeah, so there's two things I want to bring up, um, because I as much as I find communion to be fascinating, I do have my criticisms. Right. Um so, so one theory I wanted to discuss, um, and I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt your storytelling, Kevin, because well, I, I think you. you did a wonderful job. Thank um, you. I'm really proud of the writing on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's this theory that Streber had undergone something known as hypnagogia. Um, yeah, like a hypnagogic state, basically, where yeah. you're awake but dreaming. So, so um, from what I can tell, the first author to put this idea out there, because, again, Communion was a huge book. Um, the first person I could think who put that out there was uh, neurologist Stephen Novella. Is it funny that he wrote a book and his name is Novella? Right, right. Um, specifically, um, the description of the paralyzed state on De- the December encounter stood out to me. Um, mm-hmm. as, and this is actually a pretty common neurological phenomenon. Like, I guarantee you, if yeah. we were to ask around, like, we like, would know at least a handful of people who have had similar kind of hypnagogia, hypnagogic right. episodes. That's just, uh, what's that thing? Sleep paralysis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Had that so, before myself. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So it's I'm just that quote, combined with hmm. waked, waking dreams. Yeah. Basically. So well, I'm going to quote. Oh, yes. I was going to say, I can tell you that whatever happens when you have sleep paralysis seems extra real. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which, our, like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. Our it's coworker, of, the Skimwalker, has experienced something very similar. He thought the hat man was coming to get him. That the hat man, you know, uh, the hat man. I am not aware of the hat man. What the fuck? The hat man, the shadow, the, you, uh, uh, you know, the shadow beings, the shadow people. Is this oh, oh, okay? Well, if you said shadowed people, I know what the yeah. fuck you're talking about. Okay, sure. But imagine Eddie Valiant from Roger Rabbit is a shadow person. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Sorry, continue. No, no, it's fine. It's is, fine. Um, what's so that, Mike? I was going to say, who is the. I read a celebrity talking about, uh, like, a celebrity quote about the hat man. Yeah, I don't remember who that was. Like, Gage was talking about it, I think. Fucking add it to the list. There we the go. Next, that's the next big uh, scene. Is everyone seeing the hat man? Yeah. Yeah. You know, forget Slender Man, forget Siren Head. Now it's the hat man. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm going to quote from a piece published in the Atlantic here. Um, the, the piece is titled The Trippy State Between Wakefulness and Sleep, uh, and it's by uh, Vaughn Bell. So I'm just going to quote here, quote, There is a brief time between waking and sleep when reality begins to warp. Rigid conscious thought starts to dissolve into gently lapping waves of early stage dreaming, and the world becomes a little more hallucinatory. Your thoughts a little more untethered. Known as the hypnagogic state, it has received only erratic attention from researchers over the years, but a recent series of studies have renewed interest in this twilight period with the hopes it can reveal something fundamental about the consciousness itself. Which, I'll be honest, this makes a hell of a, lot of a, a hell of a lot of sense here. I don't want to be overly skeptical, but this theory that like a lot of this was a hypnagogic episode feels likely to me that's not to say that this state may not also be in conjunction with some sort of visitor encounter either though sure um now i am gonna bring up the fact that uh you know what we'll go into that in a minute okay but but mike how how do you feel about the hypnagogic state theory here i mean I guess because I've got I've got something for the wife and kid for Anne and Andrew, but okay. relation. But you know, there's also the uh, well. Think about the time period. This was eighty five. Yeah, eighty six. Yeah. yeah. Think about the drugs. cocaine. 
a lot of drugs. Yeah, no, I was going to say there's there, cocaine and or, you know, LSD. Uppers, mm-hmm. downers, binnies, dexies. Well, uh, okay, so so Mike, I, I, I guess I'm going to put this question out there for you. How you're, you're having a hard time, like, being the skeptic here because, again, like, it, it's, a, it's a compelling it, narrative, I would argue. It's, it's a very it's compelling story. It's not so story. much that he's having a trouble being a skeptic. It's he doesn't want to come off sounding like an asshole. Okay, right. so I, like let, let's take this in the opposite direction. How, like, how do you feel like there is like an authenticity to this? I hmm, I don't know. Which which is which is interesting from you. I don't know. Like, I don't know enough. I guess. Right. I mean. Obviously, I don't think he this it doesn't sound like he's played into it enough to be a, you know, uh, uh, what you call it? Per- personality? No, no, no. To become like rich and famous to like, yeah, parlay yeah. into mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, success. I mean, it, for a, yeah, after communion came out, it pretty much fucking killed his career for a long while. So, so. Mm-hmm. it's not that I wouldn't I get I mean I guess I wouldn't see does not seem like he's lying about it but that's, I mm. don't know it's uh, it's interesting because it's it's he comes off as very genuine with a lot of this yeah and the, the thing is like I, I think you and I have talked about this Kevin as being like one of the big three yeah, and this is part the, of the like holy the, trinity of abduction experience. Right, and the the reason they're the big three is because they feel the most authentic and they feel the most like, okay, yeah, I can believe that. Like, yes. do like with I, I'm going to put myself out there. Like, I believe in the Betty and Barney Hill. Thing. Uh, I, 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 I believe kinda it. I kind of do. I kind of do, but like, I've yeah. got some theories about that. Too, but, 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 you know, even like if I have doubts on the Whitley Streber thing, there's still just so much to where it's like, yes, I, I can buy that this is an experience that he had that I'm probably never going to get a satisfactory answer for. Yeah. But yeah. like, it makes the world feel a little more interesting to me. Sure. Now, you had something you wanted to talk about. Uh, that throws some credibility in. Uh, yeah. Lack of credibility? Well, I don't even know if it's a lack of credibility because, again, we're dealing with this idea of, like, memory, and I had mentioned earlier that, like, people can convince themselves right. of something and it becomes an indelible part of their personality. Right. So we're, we're going to do a little, like, history yeah. detour here. This isn't going to yeah. be too long. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we should talk about the Whitman Massacre of 1966 in Mike, the context you, of communion. Yeah, you know about this, Mike. This is the one where the man went up in the bell tower with the rifles in yeah. Texas. Now, Streber's from Texas. Mm-hmm. So. And, and it does raise a little bit of a, uh, like, I, I'm going to say a substantial credibility issue. And can I also throw in that every time you say Whitman Massacre, I think about a box of Whitman samplers, but like the best ones. So they call fucking it the massacre Whitman in that massacre. box. The Whitman Massacre. I went to town on that you shit. Have, you have diabetes, <laughs> Kevin. So any Whitman would be a massacre. That's really true. <laughs> um, 
So in communion, Whitley Strieber mentions telling multiple people that he witnessed the mass shooting at the University of Texas in Austin on August 1st, 1966, as perpetrated by Charles Whitman. Uh, they had made a movie adaptation of this with Boris Karloff, I believe, as this uh, like it, it was like inspired as Whitman? By, it was like a Roger Corman thing. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, like it's it's uh it's one of like Boris Karloff's like later roles, but it's really good. Oh my um, god, I'm just picturing Boris Karloff up there dressed like Dale from fucking King of the Hill, right? So um, I, I have a couple of corroborating sources on this issue that I'm going to talk about. Um, it's all linked in the document, but I'm just going to refer to Wikipedia here as it's a very succinct summary of the issue. Um, sure. But yeah, you'll see my notes. Uh, you, you'll see my links in the show notes. I have right, like right, at least right. three different articles. Um, so the issue is that for years, Strieber mentioned um, a very detailed account about his experience of witnessing the massacre. Uh, in the context of communion, this is used as an example of screened memories, as in something he was convinced was real, but doesn't line up with the facts. Now, it's a weird situation because he had done interviews prior to communion mentioning his view of the event in explicit detail, only to decide in communion that it must not have happened. And this is after the hypnosis and everything like that. Right. Um, and then later on, when he did his book Transformation, he decided it happened again. Uh, again, though, many of the details do not line up. There was no instance of a uh, child on a tricycle right, uh, at yeah, the no. scene. Um, and also, like, you know, he he was in the area, like in, in the sense he was in greater Austin or or, or Texas at the time, but he was not there at the university. Right. So I, I don't want to really dwell on this too much because again, like as we've seen, memory is a really weird thing. Maybe um, you just saw a lot of like coverage of it. You see, that's what I'm trying to like. That's you know, exactly it. Imprinted itself on him. Right. Yeah. I have these memories of being at a parking garage in Vicksburg with my sister seeing R2-D2 and C-3PO at a big public appearance for Empire. That never happened. But it feels so real to you, right? It. I can feel the coldness of the air. I can feel the discomfort of wearing the clothes. But I know it didn't happen because that event never took place it, in so Vicksburg. The- the reason I wanted to bring this up, number one, you know, because I, I again, I want to be as objective as possible. Sure. Like as, as fascinating as I find this story to be, I want to be objective as possible. But also, like, this is a great example of how memory can be so authentic to you that it becomes a reality. And, mm-hmm. you know, we you know, we haven't dove into magic yet as a topic. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is a lot in line with magical thinking um again like writing reality manifesting your will i think so like as far as how it explains like for example the the trauma and the injury from the encounter i don't know how to answer that but people have been able to do strange things to their bodies 
again, like, and this is probably like a controversial take, but it could be something like it may have been a manifested issue or something. Again, I don't know, but it's, I, I did want to bring this up because again, yeah, like this is a thing that is, we're pretty sure did not happen to him here. This being there at the site of this mass oh, shooting. Oh yeah, no, that's, that's, I really don't think he was there because a lot of reasons. But it but, feels so real to him. Sure. And uh, I've got a theory about the the wife and kid, Mike. Can I throw that out there to you? Which I feel weird, like, helping you. <laughs> so I guess first I'm going to say, well, maybe it just could point to maybe he's just... Uh, don't want to... Not... Not really... Uh, not really... Uh, influenceable like very what's the word i'm looking suggestive? for suggestible yes not suggestive that would be yeah. him in a negligee oh, no. <laughs> well and the other but, thing we, we need a, to also and, take into account is he is a he is a fiction author as say, well he's also a writer so mm-hmm. he very definitely creative. has an imagination oh yeah no so certainly. maybe he convinced himself see i think he mentioned having vague recollections of the hills Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm wondering if that's stuck in the back of his head for like 20 years. But the other thing is, all right, let's let's go with the, with Anne Streber for a second. Mm-hmm. From everything I've read about her and her interactions with Whitley and how supportive she was, I kind of feel like she saw a way to cash in on this, like them to cash in on it without coming out and saying, Whitley, we got to milk this shit. There, there is a yes and quality there to is. it. Because, like, her recollections of the abduction are extremely vague, like tailor-made to dovetail into his. Especially uh, compared to Andrew's recollections, which uh, have that more kind of, like, tactile weirdness that makes sense for, like, an encounter. Yes. Andrew, I don't know, because, you know, abductions tend to run in families a lot with Mm -hmm. these things. So if there was an abduction, yeah, sure, maybe it's happening to Andrew. Uh, So I'm not willing to put that out, but I do, and he did end up working for the Communion Foundation Mm -hmm. with Whitley. And I believe he actually still works for Unknown Country uh, in Dreamland. I'm not positive. Don't quote me on that. But from the little bit I've been able to gather, he has worked with his father on this stuff. Uh, so he is not out of it. Mm-hmm. He got his hands dirty. And his wife, like I said, she definitely... She was a smart lady. How about that? We say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> not, not to cast aspersions on her or accuse no, no. her of any, anything. Any streamer from everything I've ever heard was an amazing woman, a good mm-hmm. friend, and a lovely wife. Uh, and stuck with him. She mm-hmm. could have easily divorced him and been like, "Yeah, we're done." You know, uh, and th- this this is a tough this is a tough conversation. Like it's again, there's so much that's like in favor of this being a thing that happened. But then there's there a lot of stuff also, where you yeah, you look at it and it's like, "Well, this I, is an issue." Yeah. Um and you know, I've got my own opinions on what happened, and we're not going to go into that right now. Because mm-hmm. uh, we're running up on our uh, good episode limit. <laughs> uh, what I'm going to say is that uh, 
it's one of the most compelling abduction stories I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I also want to throw out there that, like, uh, again, like Betty and Barney Hill through, like, the Reader's Digest publications of all that stuff, like, mm-hmm. that was a huge thing for contactee experiences, and it started a wave of stuff. Yeah, it definitely but, changed the dynamic between humans and aliens in the public consciousness. But I think communion did even more than that. I think oh, communion yeah. is the bigger, um, especially combined with like mass media and that sort of thing. Be, you know, Whitley Strieber is able to run because Betty and Barney Hill kicked the ball. Right. So, uh, like, again, yeah, like this, the, the impact of communion, I think, is much bigger than Betty and Barney Hill. But that's just because it, it opened up the territory for communion. Definitely. I completely agree. Um, yeah, Mike, I'm sorry if you felt like you couldn't really throw in on that because of that. Uh, it's just it's a tough one. Just that. The thing is, it's like, okay, yeah, no, this could all be complete bullshit. And then I hear that uh, regression tape. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. That's that's the one thing that really gets me is his reaction. That is a gut reaction to something. Now, did he get taken by visitors and have medical experiments done? Maybe. Did he go to the bathroom, miss the toilet, and sit on the plunger? Oof. Ouch. I've thought of that. Like, his. I've, I've almost done that. I've wondered, am I going to wake up tomorrow thinking the little gray men came and got me? And why is this traffic cone in the shower? I told you about this. God damn it. Maybe he wanted to try butt stuff and you know, he didn't like it. That's that's the Henry Zabrowski theory is that he got taken in the woods and uh, had some man's affection forced on him. Well, I, I meant mm. like, he, he was like, I'm going to... Or maybe, you know, his wife was like, we're going to try this. And he's like, okay. He's like, ow, no, stop. Ow, ow, quit it. Why are you not quitting it? Oh, God. I don't know. My advice to that is. Grin and bear it, man. Use more lube. Yeah. Speculation overruled. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's a really confusing case because of just the solidness of a lot of it. But, like, again, it's up to you to decide. And, um, you know, maybe it was uh, ultra-terrestrials from the super-spectrum. I don't know. <laughs> I just hear Mike kind of groaning in the background. Yeah, was that your mouse wheel or was that your teeth grinding? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So that's Whitley Streber, everyone. I want to thank you for listening and sticking with us. This was a hell of an episode to do. Next week, we're going to be back with... Weekend Weird, which we will be substantially more lighthearted. David, you <laughs> yes. had something to say about the Weekend Weird, didn't you? Yes, actually, we're going to be doing a live recording of it on the Discord, as in people who are a part of the Discord will be able to pop in and listen and hear how the sausage is made, you know, when we shove the pig in the grinder and everything like that. A lot of screaming. Um, yeah, a lot of screaming. Um, if you listen to our episodes, they, I, I gotta say they're pretty polished, but you know, you're missing like the 40 minutes of just us yelling at each other. Right, and warming up and talking about stupid shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be doing that and we're, 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 we're field testing here and then the idea is I think we want to be able to make this kind of like a, a thing for the patrons. You know what I mean? Right. So, 
yeah, that's that's kind of the plan, and uh, we would love for you to join us. Again, you can go to discord.supernatpod.rocks and join our Discord. Uh, you can find everything else at supernatpod.rocks, including our Patreon and uh, our blog, which we'll begin updating again soon, and mm-hmm. various stuff like that there. Uh, we really appreciate everyone that's been listening over the last two years. I mean, like, this has been amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're nowhere near done. David, how many topics did you say you think we've got on the topic list? Um, so I, I counted around 50 because I know a couple of them, uh, especially the ones that I'm attached to, are going to be series. Right, be- right. Because I cannot constrain myself. Um but yeah, I, I think we have some fun ideas down the... If, if we want to, like, give away a couple of things we want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, we want to talk about underground base conspiracies like uh, the Denver Airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, one geared specifically to Mike, I want to talk about famous skeptics like Penn Jillette and uh, the, the Amazing Randy. I would love for Mike to throw in on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to have a whole line of uh, magical theory episodes because we haven't really gotten too far into that. Um, yeah, that's because it, uh, it, it's, so es- it's so esoteric and dense, which is the problem. Um, yeah, Mike, you want to see somebody get on your side? <laughs> I'm there, buddy. We'll be yep. we'll be there it, it, in the trenches. It's going to be me by myself on that one. But uh, no, but like, fucked you know, me, old beauty. I, I do have. Um, I'm going to handle uh, a couple different episodes on witchcraft. Like, we're going to talk about the Malleus Malficarum. Um, the Hammer of have, Witches. I have a collection of uh, witchcraft uh, trial narratives that we can get into. Um, oh, you're going to talk also, about Tichiba? Yes, yeah. Tichiba is going to be one that we're going to talk about. Um Woo. Yeah, and then I also have my um, insane theory that I just kind of started developing today based on going through this outline that the War of the Worlds broadcast was, in fact, a magical ritual. Maybe not an intended one, but a magical ritual. My eyes are pointing in two different directions after hearing that. But still, uh, <laughs> well, excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah, no, uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I... I don't know that I'm going to do Indrid Cold like my original plan, because after reading a big chunk of Visitors from Lanulos, f- fuck that story. We may do contactees <laughs> instead and involve that. So No, I, I say we do Indrid Cold, and I think uh, I think the plan is, because uh, you have it in the outline as all them aliens, but like I yes. think like individual alien spotlights, because we, we got to talk about the, Ly- the Lyrans. Well, that's what All Them Aliens is about, is going to be the beginning of that, where we talk about All Them Aliens, and we Mm. go over, like, at least between 6 and 13 of the races that are involved with uh, Xenopolitics, Mike. Oh, boy. Yeah, (laughs) Um, we're going to talk about the Gieta Treaty, where Eisenhower said they could stick stuff up our butts for CDs. (laughs) You know, we're going to have a bunch of biography episodes. And then if you have an episode idea that you want to let us know about, or if you have a lead on a story, or you want to tell us a story, go ahead and contact us, because we want to get you all involved. Again, contact.supernatpod.rocks, as in the things you pick up off the ground and throw at religious people coming to your door. I was going to say, <laughs> or the things that are in Kevin's head. Yes. Full <laughs> of rocks and goo. 
So <laughs> thanks everybody for listening, guys. Thank you, Mike, David, for going through this with me. We'll have a lot of fun next week where we don't talk about something this serious. Right. Now, hopefully no traumatic audio. Oh, God, never again. Sorry about that. <laughs> Warning, butt screaming. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we will see you guys next time. Until then, stay safe and stay frosty. Goodbye. There's a cat chew- that was chewing on my microphone stand. She was chewing on your knob. She chewed on my... Ooh, that's bad. You want to have a hypnotic regression about it? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe.